Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And a couple of weeks ago, I was at Ethereum Denver, and I got to meet some of the people that were on the show. I also got to see Andreas Antonopoulos speak, but that was only part of the highlights. One of the other highlights was getting to sit down with almost a dozen projects to get 101s on what they're doing in the space, get to know them, and what they're doing with blockchain technology. And this is the first of a couple episodes that are going to come out talking about 101s on a couple different projects. And today we have Seller, Rhombus, and Truebit. They're about 10 minutes apiece, so you can get the 101s on a project maybe you never heard of, or maybe you've always been wondering about. And we have their leadership team to tell us all about it. But before we get into those projects, please, wherever you're listening to this episode, subscribe, like, and share with other people so they can learn about blockchain technology and different aspects of the crypto space. Don't forget to follow us on social media, crypto underscore underscore 101 on Twitter, Matthew underscore underscore 101. And we have Instagram and Facebook community as well. And you can find those on crypto101podcast.com. You can find links of those on our website, bottom of the page, our social media buttons. I also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Teams Summit from Japan, which is April 6th and 7th. By being a Crypto 101 listener, you can get 30% off your tickets to go see some amazing speakers. All you have to do is go to summit.teams, that's T-E-A-M-Z dot C-O dot J-P, find the tickets page, and at checkout, put in Crypto 101, Crypto 101, no space, to get 30% off your tickets. I want to say also thank you very much to Mr. Jay LaBella for editing this episode. And now, without more of me talking, here is a 101 on Seller, Rhombus, and Truebit recorded at Ethereum Denver. We will see you after the show. Mo Dong, CEO and founder of Seller. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for the invite. It's great to be here. First, I want to say thank you for reaching out to Crypto 101 to come on the show and do a 101 on your project. And it's very nice. And I want to say thank you to your team as well, because Wendy was such a wonderful person for reaching out. Uh, well, uh, we do have a great team and I'm, I'm honored to have them. Before we go into your project and learn a little bit about Seller, learn a little bit about yourself. Sure. You, we just talked. We both lived in Shanghai. You are from Shanghai. Yeah. I lived there for about six years. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so uh, you know, I graduated from Shanghai Jiaotong University and, uh, in 2012 and, uh, uh, from computer science and then came here uh, to study uh, you know, decentralized systems and distributed systems uh, for my PhD study. And I graduated in 2017 and uh, you know, my PhD thesis is actually try to combine the game theoretical research with uh, decentralized system and design. So you know, blockchain research and blockchain system are right up in my alley. So that's why you know, where I started looking to blockchain stuff and also get very interested in the space. So yeah, that's kind of a very quick background about me. That's very interesting. I never knew that universities were actually focusing on decentralized systems or anything with blockchain yet in any kind of detail, especially since in 2017. That was basically the rise of Bitcoin in 2017, and that's when I saw personally yeah. a lot of universities start saying, hey, maybe this is a thing, maybe it's something we can make money off of, let's start <laughs> offering courses. But right. you said in 2017 your university already had courses. Can you tell us about that university and that course? 
Yeah, so I graduated from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, mm -hmm. So this university is actually one of the top computer science, uh, uh, you know, grad school. And uh, there is no specific course about blockchain per se. Mm -hmm. But you know, if we, if we think about what is blockchain, blockchain is two things. One thing is uh, uh, a distributed system where mm -hmm. you have a, a bunch of miners or a bunch of POS proposers and all that stuff. Like they they are trying to reach consensus of uh, something, right? So that is one part of blockchain. The second part of blockchain is really the crypto economic side, the incentive creation, uh, you know, the mining reward, and all that is part of the game theory. So uh, both of these uh, research topics are available for a very very long time already. And uh, fortunately, my research topic is actually the combination of the, both of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm laughing because of your shirt. I just noticed that it's a unicorn dabbing. Yeah, it is unicorn dabbing with like <laughs> rat shoe and you know, <laughs> everything. Yeah. That's hilarious. Tell me a little about Seller. First of all, how, what is Seller and why did you start this? Uh, well, Seller from a very, very high level makes blockchain very, very fast. So that's what we do. We uh, are not accelerating only payments, but we are also accelerating smart contracts transactions. Uh, so Seller Network uh, uses uh, the combination of technology uh, involving like state channels and side chains and also interactive computing, so all these technology combined. And uh, all these stuff combined, we can make the transactions reach zero fee for most of the transactions and make extremely interactive uh, applications on top of blockchain, like interactive games, real cash-based games, prediction market, and all that stuff. So this is like very, from a very high level what Seller Network is. What do you mean by making blockchain faster? What blockchain are we talking about? We're talking about Bitcoin blockchain, Ethereum blockchain, and what does it mean to make it faster? How do you make something that fast that's already slow? So first of all, about blockchain, Seller itself is a is not a blockchain. It is a layer two platform that is building on top of multiple blockchains. Okay. Now we support Ethereum, we support uh, any kind of EVM supported blockchains, and we also support WebAssembly supported blockchains. EVM, uh, uh, Ethereum virtual machine. Okay. So like uh, Ethereum proposed this thing to run smart contract. Now this virtual machine get up, adopted to many other blockchains as well. So you know we basically run as a common layer on top of multiple blockchains to accelerate all, them all up. Now, what we mean by acceleration is that blockchain is kind of like this uh, very slow processing engine where you need to have a large amount of users and large amount of miners or you know full nodes reaching agreement about something. Mm -hmm. right? So this consensus process uh, creates a huge amount of overhead in terms of the latency of the transaction and also is inherently expensive right? because you need to have all these nodes compute the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. What Seller Networks resides is in some layer called Layer 2 Scaling Platform. The general concept there is to treat blockchain not as a processing engine, basically not throw everything to blockchain, mm -hmm. but only treat blockchain as a settlement layer. Or mm -hmm. kind of a, putting an analogy here, we treat blockchain as a core system uh, instead of uh, you know, uh, treating this as an everyday transaction system. Only when there is a dispute that happens, uh, we will actually go back to blockchain and settle that dispute. So this is like the gist of the idea of the layer two scaling. So with that, uh, you know, if everything is running on layer two, it can be super fast and uh, smooth, basically. Uh, now, the, just for a comparison, uh, to to get like a more uh, direct impression on this, Seller Network actually accelerated in terms of latency for Ethereum for about twenty thousand times. Mm -hmm. So let's say we build a very very simple chess game on blockchain where you and I bet some money on top. Right, so if I, w I win the game, uh, you get me some money. If you win the game, I will give you uh, my money. So this very, very simple application. For every step of the chess, for every move of the chess, if we directly do it on the Ethereum blockchain, it will take several minutes to actually confirm the transaction. And the transaction is the moves itself? The transaction is the move itself. 
So, it's, so, it's, so, the, so the game could actually take days. The game could actually take days. Yes, <laughs> that is very true. And uh, you know, the good thing about Stellar is that every of these moves can only take milliseconds to complete. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, the, the chess is like one example, and we can push that to extreme. You can actually achieve this kind of a real-time state sync on Ethereum blockchain, and you can actually implement this kind of action game and all sorts of uh, exciting stuff uh, using the scalability platform. With your chess game, uh, part, of the, part of the blockchain, I guess, is that so things do things legally, right? You said, right. It's, you said it's a court system, right? Yeah. So you're, you, you are on the blockchain to make sure that things are working properly. If you're using this layer two system, and this might be a silly question for a doctor and a developer that's in the room right now, how do you, how do you make sure that the person is not moving his knight diagonally and his rook in L shapes? Yeah, that's, a, that's a actually an excellent question, right? So um, the concept of directly using blockchain to prevent that is very simple. That is, you just write the uh, chess rule in a smart contract. Mm-hmm. Right? So for every move you make, the smart contract is actually checking whether that move is valid or not. But now you're saying that smart contract is happening on your layer two? Yes, that's right. Okay. Like basically, if the smart contract is happening in layer one, it's super slow. Now we, we are actually the first platform to migrate the smart contract capability from layer one to the layer two platform. So the checking process and also the, the moving process can be super, super fast. In cryptocurrency and blockchain, everybody has great ideas. You know, I've heard the best ideas. The world has been changed mm-hmm. and it has evolved into like the year 3000. 300 times already the past right. couple yeah. years. That's right. Is your system working already? I'm glad to say that we are, our system is fully working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we actually recently launched this, our second version of the testnet on top of Ethereum's Robinson testnet. And uh, during the last one week, actually, we just launched a kind of a new application, user-facing application as well, to help users to onboard to this kind of extremely smooth user experience on blockchain. And uh, we are glad to see that uh, over 1,000 users onboarded our platform in you know four days. And let me stress this: this is on testnet. The tokens on this testnet does not <coughs> carry value. It is just for testing. But people are very, very enthusiastic about trying out this kind of interactive user experiences, and people are loving it. Even during the East Denver event uh, we are currently at, we have like people keep coming to us and downloading and try out the app and experience this kind of user experiences. I want to frame this a little a little better because I think that it's very easy to make a podcast to have somebody say, we have onboarded 1,000 people in four days. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? It means that we have developers actually, developers developing on top of it, or do we actually have consumers doing things like playing chess, like you just said, yep. that's using your layer two protocol? Yes, we have real users playing chess every day using our protocol. And uh, for the first version of the testnet, the statistics that we got is we have about 15,000 chess game played per month on our platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Who's um, playing them? Is it a bot or is it a person? We actually have users from 34 countries, and they are all playing like uh, uh, this kind of board game. It's not exactly a chess game. Uh, it's a, you know, a traditional Chinese board game called uh, Gomuko. You know, in Chinese, it's Wu Ziqi. Oh, Wu Ziqi. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the kids play, play Wu Ziqi. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like uh, Connect 4. Yeah, Connect 4, but Connect 5, basically. Connect 5. Yeah. Cool, cool. So if, there, if you have all these people playing Connect 5, mm-hmm. this is a very simple, like you said, a very simple use right. case. Yeah. Where is the next step? When are we actually going to do something where the average consumer, the, the, the mass adopter, mm-hmm. the person that's going through their daily life, yeah. waking up, making coffee, going to work, using their cell phone or whatever, 
What does it look like to you that they're going to be using this layer two protocol for their daily life, and when is that going to happen? Uh, that is a great question. So, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, the f there are several steps to this. Uh, the first step is to create actual interactions. Mm -hmm. So, what is currently missing in blockchain, in any kind of a blockchain application, is interaction. There's no human interaction because there, it is not possible because, like, the interaction time is too long. Now, if we uh, enable this first, using game as a method and using something like uh, maybe uh, the next step might be a prediction market uh, as, a, as a step to create this high transaction, a highly interactive environment, the next step is basically going to the bread and butter of the blockchain that is the payments still. Mm -hmm. In many different places, the payment is still a big problem. And uh, there are many use cases that is a layer two payment system is especially suitable for. Things like micropayment transactions and uh, things like uh, streaming uh, a video as uh, while you pay the video, you can still basically stream a very small portion of the video. If you don't like it, you can just turn it off. Uh, in, uh, you know, no, no big deal. You don't pay um, you know, $14.99 upfront for that video. You just paid like maybe uh, $0.5. Mm -hmm. um, so this kind of application is I think the bread and butter, so to embed to everyone's life eventually, but you know, also in a medium term. But the reason that we are kind of very heavily focused on the game segment is because it created a lot of interaction. This is for Ethereum platform, correct? You know, we are blockchain agnostic actually. We support okay. multiple blockchains and not only Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a little bit hard because Bitcoin's underlying functionality does not support smart contract directly. Uh, but yeah, we're definitely also looking into Bitcoin to support at least the, the payment with low transaction fee and instant uh, reaction, basically. It's been a while since I talked about Bitcoin, but isn't, isn't Quantum a smart contract platform for Bitcoin? Uh, Quantum uses a UTXO model and then build like a, uh, a smart contract on top of the UTXO model. Okay. And yeah, we are actually collaborating with Quantum as well. Okay. Uh, that we support them uh, you know, through their VM construct. As long as the, there is a smart contract platform, Sarah can, uh, can work on top of that. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Where are you located? Uh, the most of the dev team is in San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. And we also have some China branch opening up uh, uh, quite soon in Shanghai as well. And you are in uh, San Fran? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm located in San Francisco. I've been asking the same question to a lot of people that I've been interviewing yeah. over this conference. We came out from San Diego. Why is it beneficial for your companies to fly halfway across the country to come to F Denver to do what? And what, what's the benefit from, for seller? Uh, developer mind shares. Hmm. That's basically it. And uh, we're super glad we're here because at least five projects are already using Seller's SDK to develop, uh, you know, including games, very interactive games, uh, micropayment services, and you can send like a payment using your Telegram uh, on top of Seller. Mm -hmm. And all these exciting things are happening. And I think that is only um, possible with this kind of a huge developer gathering and this kind of a developer mind share uh, you know, gathering, basically. How do you make money? So Seller Project itself is a foundation. Mm -hmm. So it's like any other uh, blockchain project, our mission is to deliver this open source uh, uh, ecosystem so that people can actually use. Mm -hmm. Now, let me try to rephrase that question. That is uh, uh, how participants or how operators of Seller Network can make money. Nope, that's not my question. Okay. My question is how does Seller, your company, pay employees and monetize it so you have a sustainable business? Oh yeah, so you know, Seller, uh, the company itself, uh, will also be part of the uh, operator system in the future, right? So uh, you know, uh, the, uh, many companies doesn't have that model, but uh, fortunately we do. Uh, so the way we can make money is by 
operating as a off-chain service provider inside of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, you can think of uh, as, as uh, a hub, one of the hubs in the off-chain operating ecosystem. And whenever people's transaction passes through, for normal transactions, for just a simple payment, we'll process that for free, mm -hmm. right? But for programmable, pa uh, programmable payment, like conditional payment, mm -hmm. that is that I Smart contract that, payments. Yes, yeah, smart contract payment, smart contract related payment with logic attached to it, we will also make transaction fees on top. I got you. Um, with the extremely high volume of the transaction enabled by layer two, I think that is a very sustainable business model. Right on. Yeah. Excellent. I have one last question for you. In this time of the bear market, in this time of a lot of maybe FUD, a lot of scams, a lot of uncertainty in the industry, mm -hmm. what would you like the average person or the developers or people in the blockchain industry still moving forward with this technology, what would you want them to know and what would you want them to be optimistic about? The thing that I would like everyone to be optimistic about is that mass adoption is happening. Even with all the bear market, a lot of the underlying development is happening right now. And the layer two is definitely leading forefront of the mass adoption. There are a huge amount of layer two projects popping up after Setter, and uh, we are glad to be part of it. So if you're interested in building mass adoption ready dApps or applications, definitely look at our SDKs and try it out. What is SDK? A software development kit. So, cool. yeah. Got to break it down. Yeah. Crypto 101 style. Yeah. Is your coin traded? Your token traded? Uh, no, not right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Dr. Mo Dong, thank you for coming on Crypto 101, sir. Thank you very much. Jeff Rosen, co-founder of Rhombus. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thanks. Good to be here. Right on, man. Hey, first, I want to say thank you for reaching out to us. We're at F Denver together. I'm sitting right here in a big-ass green room together with you. But before we go into what your company is doing, what your team is doing, wrap out with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Uh, so my background is in software. Um, for the past several years, I've been working on a variety of software startups uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, in the past couple of years, have become very interested in applications of blockchain technology. And that's what led me to Rhombus about a year and a half ago. Cool. And you're the co-founder. And so what, what, does, what was your idea of starting Rhombus? Why did you decide to start a company in the blockchain? Sure. So blockchain technology is obviously super powerful and interesting. And it draws a lot of technically oriented people towards it. However, there's one really key piece missing from that, and that is that blockchains in and of themselves don't know much about what's happening in the real world. Mm -hmm. And so you hear a lot of hype about blockchain technology. It's going to accomplish all these amazing things. In order to do that, there needs to be a secure connection to data from the real world. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to help Ethereum and other blockchains realize their vision. Okay. And so that's what led my co-founder Doug and I to start Rhombus. So you guys are doing a secure connection to data using the blockchain. Exactly. That's correct. And what does that mean to the average consumer? Like, if I was going to have a secure connection to data to the blockchain, why would I care? Or is this for business or B2B or P2P or how are you structuring? So Rhombus serves both enterprise customers uh, and just developers who are interested in building on blockchains. Mm -hmm. So let's suppose that you're a developer. In that case, you're going to be building an application that's going to run on the Ethereum blockchain. And so let's say for you that application is so if you're a developer building on the Ethereum blockchain, um, you're thinking about what sorts of applications you can build. So let's suppose that you want to build an application that will allow people to legally purchase gold options via the Ethereum blockchain. Mm -hmm. So you can write all of the code for that, um, but there's one piece missing, which is you have to know what the price of gold is in terms of Ether, because the Ethereum blockchain obviously runs on the Ether currency. So in order for that, you need to contact an oracle. 
And so that's what Rhombus is. We are the oracle. We provide you from the outside world. What is the price of gold in relation to Ether? And we deliver that securely to your smart contract. Okay. And so in this case, this is actually something that's been built already. Uh, we're partners with OpenLaw, and OpenLaw is committed to bringing the legal world onto the Ethereum blockchain. And so they built the structure of this contract that lets you buy gold on the blockchain, and we deliver the secure price of gold. Uh, and it de delivered every 10 seconds um, so that it makes sure that it stays up to date. With that Oracle, OpenLaw can now go out to the world and say, hey, um, if you're interested in buying legally enforceable gold options via the Ethereum blockchain, we can do that for you. Mm -hmm. So I never knew there was going to be a problem with the price of gold and why do I need it to secure? What are, what are some of the problems with the price of gold and why would I need it secure? Well, for one thing, you need to know what the price of gold is. Obviously, but I can look at the paper, I can look at the news, I can Google it. That's true. You as an individual can totally do all those mm -hmm. things. However, your smart contract can't. Your ah, smart contract is written in code, and your code needs to be able to talk from the blockchain to the outside world. Okay. So that's one issue. The second issue is you can pick a source for the price of gold, but what happens if you call out to that source and the source says, I'm not working right now? or it returns the wrong value. It says the price of gold is zero. Mm -hmm. Your entire project, and remember, this is a blockchain, so that means that you know, everything that happens is immutable. Once it happens once, it's done forever. If you accidentally report that the price of gold is zero, you might allow somebody to buy a million gold options from you and quickly bankrupt your project. Has this ever happened that the price of gold came back as zero? And I'm, I'm, I apologize for, for, the, for the questioning. I just want to see how useful this is um, because so I think sometimes that people on the blockchain, they, they make problems to try to find solutions that mm -hmm. work on, on the blockchain. But as a consumer, I have never seen a Google for gold. I've never seen somebody use an API and, and come back with zero or there's problems. Has it ever happened? And historically, what kind of percentage of security are you adding on top of the already secure systems? So that's a fantastic question. And there is a really amazing example of this that happened in the middle of 2017. Okay. People refer to it as the Coinbase flash crash. Mm -hmm. And Coinbase, because of just the way that the order books were populated, the price of Ether was reported on Coinbase to be 10 cents for a brief period of time, even when the market rate was actually over $300 for Ether. Mm -hmm. And so this mattered very much for many individuals who were able to pick up Ether at that ridiculous price. There's even one individual, and you can verify this by looking at the Coinbase API history. Somebody managed to order several thousand Ether at a cost of 10 cents per Ether. I remember this, yes. And so that, as soon as the market price went back in the 300s, that person was an instant millionaire. Right. It's made me personally deeply regret uh, that I didn't have an order on the books for thousands I, of Ether at 10 cents. I think cents. we all regret. I think we all regret. Right? I'd be talking to you from a beach in Hawaii right now. Well, I, I don't know about that. Hopefully, you're one of those guys that even with a million dollars, you'd still be developing and building, right? From a beach in Hawaii. Yeah. From, a, <laughs> from a beach in Hawaii. You'll spend your millions really quick. Let's go for a beach in Thailand. Yeah. There thing. you go. A little, little less thing. cost there. So you started this project. Where are you at in the project? I just saw you presenting downstairs. Where are you at in the project? Where are you at to actually getting this into the hands of developers or people that need this project, like you said? And also, uh, what's the future? So one thing that distinguishes us from a lot of other blockchain projects is that we are actually on mainnet right now and have been on the Ethereum mainnet for several months. Mm -hmm. We are not a hype project. We're not a testnet. You know, someday we'll be there. Here's our white paper project. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. 
That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy video lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy video lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy video lock. That's E-U-F-Y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y video lock. Eufy video lock. Get complete control over your front door. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Projects, we are actually delivering value on mainnet today. Did you do an ICO? No, we didn't do an ICO. Where's your money coming from? How are you paying your people? How are you paying yourself? How are you going to monetize this in the future? Uh, so it's already monetized now. Oh, dope. Uh, we have customers paying for custom oracles. Okay. Um, it works in a couple of different ways. So if you need something very complicated and custom built, we can do that for you for a flat rate. Mm -hmm. And then we also charge uh, transaction fees. So for example, if you need the price delivered every month for mm -hmm. a particular asset, that will cost you less than if you need it every 10 seconds. Word. Well, that's interesting. So you're on the mainnet, you're already launched, you're already monetized. You're just basically a company on the blockchain. How do people invest? How do people find you? Are you just doing this and all your money is going to come from your monetization? Uh, so we're, uh, we have investors. Um, our main investor is Consensus, okay. um, the global venture blockchain studio. Mm -hmm. uh, so they are providing funding for this project. Right on, man. Um, and then, you know, obviously we have revenue coming in. Okay, cool, cool, cool. What projects are you excited about that's happening right now that are at Ethereum Denver? So for me, uh, Gitcoin is one of the most exciting projects. Gitcoin. Gitcoin, yeah. What, what does Gitcoin do? I saw them down there with a big old, like, little Plinko ball thing going on. They're having <laughs> some fun. It's good marketing. Yeah, they do uh, incentivization of open source. So the goal is to have, because of the blockchain ledger, you can enable uh, a record of who has contributed what to open source, and then they can get compensated for working on open source projects. OK. Anything else? Yeah, uh, another uh, company here is called Bounties Network. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have a platform where as a person who wants something, you can go on that platform, type out a really detailed explanation of what you want. And you can put a bounty on it. So you'll say, I'll pay you know, X dollars. 
the key thing about Bounty's network is that they also enable payments in crypto. That's what distinguishes them from other Bounty freelance platforms. Oh, cool, man. Uh, so they can say, you know, for $1,000, I would like you to make this for me, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's a website or I know somebody requested a mix of Kanye West and Beethoven <laughs> and put a $50 Bounty on that, and someone actually went out and made a mix, and it's awesome. Oh, right, okay. Um, and so you can get paid in whatever currency you want. We actually at Rhombus have a Bounty on Bounty's network. So okay. uh, we're interested, uh, obviously, in increasing our customer base. Mm -hmm. So if you know somebody who's interested in an Oracle uh, and you refer them to us, as soon as they pay us and become a customer, we'll pay you for that referral. And that's on Bounty's Network right now. Oh, right on, man. Uh, cool, cool, cool. You said when you're talking, the Git Network, they incentivize. I think a lot of people look at blockchain as a great way to do micropayments and incentivize different things. Do you actually think that incentivization, monetary incentives are necessary? It's a good question. I mean, it depends on the motivation of the individuals in question here, but I think paying m money for people to do things is a, you know. I mean, so I'm just wondering because like there's a lot of people are doing things in the hopes of making, you know, a big business or getting incentivized or, or what have you. But it seems as though blockchain companies look at, hey, let's try to incentivize everything. We're going to incentivize you for clicks and data and likes and, and retweets and bounties and all this stuff. Is it really, really necessary? And with that, and just because I want to pick your brain about this because it's something I've been thinking about. Do you think if we switch to incentives and incentives for everything, that people just won't do shit unless there's a monetary value to it? You could argue that that's already the case, um, mm. where people you know, do require monetary incentives to do things. I think in particular in blockchain, there's a reason that all these incentives are going around, and that's that there are so many different projects all competing for the attention of not that many developers. Mm -hmm. um, and these projects need a way to attract the attention of developers and get them to see why their protocol or their platform or whatever it is is worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by offering a financial incentive, that's the quickest way to get their attention. It may turn out that once you offer the incentive and they try it out, it turns out they love it, and then they're never going to need an incentive again. Right on, man. For the listeners, what happens is we are press, and so our emails and our addresses or our phone numbers go out to all of the projects here. They hit us up, and they say, hey, we would want to hop on the podcast. So I want to say thank you for hitting me up, uh, hopping on the podcast. Before we get off today, what would you like the listeners to know about your project, and where can they find you? Sure. Uh, so you can find us at rhombus.network on the web. That's easy. And what I hope people take from this is that the potential of blockchains is amazing. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already agree with that. But it's the success of oracles that's going to determine whether blockchains succeed, because all of these exciting applications depend on oracles. And we at Rhombus uh, are hoping to provide that connection. Last question I want to ask you is, what is an oracle? And can you give us a brief 101 on an oracle? I'm glad you asked. Uh, so an oracle is a connection between the blockchain and the real world. And so an example of an... What is the difference between the blockchain and the real world? So in the real world, there are all these things. So examples might be, you know, what is the price of an asset? Um, who won a particular election? Anything that has to do with human beings. Okay. Blockchains in and of themselves don't know anything about that. Um, it's a really, really simple protocol. Mm -hmm. And so in order for anything interesting to be built on blockchains, you need to know what's happening in the real world. For example, you and I might want to place a bet, say, on who's going to win the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. And we can place that bet with a smart contract on the blockchain. And the amazing thing about blockchains is that you don't need a middleman. We can do that just peer to peer. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, how is that bet going to get resolved? Okay. The blockchain has to know who won the 2020 election. And the blockchain itself is not going to know that. With Rhombus, you can securely deliver that information to the smart contract, and then the smart contract can pay you or pay me, depending on who won the bet. So an Oracle 101, very basic, mm -hmm. is the connection between the blockchain and the real world, yeah. or things that are happening in day-to-day -day life. 
Can I give you one more example and then Please. you can decide which one you want to use for the podcast? I might use both of them. Okay. All right. Uh, so an example of an oracle would be, let's say that you, after this conference, you're going to fly home. So where's home for you? San Diego. San Diego. I love San Diego. Okay. So you're going to fly from Denver to San Diego. So let's say that you want to purchase blockchain-based flight insurance for your flight. Mm -hmm. So the way that would work is you pay some insurance company $20. And then if your flight is delayed by more than a few hours to the point where it's going to really inconvenience you, you're going to get a payout of the full price of your ticket. So let's say that's $300. So you pay a $20 premium, and then you have the possibility of getting $300 if something bad happens to your flight. Mm -hmm. So all of that can be done on a blockchain. And it's great to do that on a blockchain, because that way you don't have to deal with the insurance claims process or any slimy middlemen. If you've ever tried to resolve an insurance claim, you right. probably know how painful that can be. Right. So the blockchain enables this thing. All the blockchain needs to know is that specific flight from Denver to San Diego. Did that flight arrive on time, or was it delayed by more than three hours? Mm -hmm. So we've actually built an Oracle for this that's live right now. Um, and so if you were to sign up for this process using a Rhombus Oracle, we deliver the information about whether your flight was delayed. If it turns out that your flight was delayed by more than three hours, you can get paid out for that delay literally as you're standing in the airport. You don't have to wait. You don't have to file a claim. You get paid out that day. Whoa. And we can all find this at rhombus.network. That's it. And that's rhombus with an R-H, correct? R-H-O-M-B-U-S. That's Got it. Got it, dude. Jeff, thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101, and it was very nice meeting you, sir. Thanks. Pleasure. Jason Choice, founder of Truebit. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, thanks for coming up, walking up six flights of steps in an old building in Denver during the final voting for the best developments over the weekend. So I appreciate you taking the time. It's uh, worth the, the trip to the sixth floor, you know. It's actually for us, it's coming downstairs from the makerspace, right? Oh, so okay, yeah. Technically speaking, this is our, our home, home level here. <laughs> this is your, okay, excellent. So <laughs> we're basically neighbors then. Yeah, kind of like that, right? I mean, <laughs> but in this build, this building is so big, you know, you, you don't necessarily even know your neighbors exist. So, so J Jason, first, before we go into TrueBit 101, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am, I guess, a mathematician by, by trade. So I spent most of my career in the universities doing sometimes in math, sometimes in computer science. So I did a little bit in computer security. So I started off in mathematical logic doing recursion theory and algorithmic randomness and Kolmogorov complexity and sort of pivoted into the blockchain space, the fusion of, I guess, logic and, and security is, is, is blockchain. And that happened in, in 2015 while I was at the National University of Singapore. And the first paper was The Verifier's Dilemma, where we actually identified the problem that, that Trubit was later going to solve, which is basically why does Ethereum need to have a gas limit? So we just, that's, that's what it was about. And and for me, I guess the, the moment of the point of no return was coming into the space, writing the, I think, the, the first academic paper on Ethereum because the, the network hadn't even launched yet. And, you know, sending that to the CCS conference and they, they came back and said, you know, that's this is just theoretical. It's, it's never going to happen. And then July 4th, while it was during the rebuttal period, there was a fork on the Bitcoin network, six blocks. And. Lo and behold, they changed their mind. And for me, that was just like, you know, I'd been writing math papers my whole life, and there was never a time when a current event came in and said, you know, that changed the validity of the, of the results. I, I just could see the immediate impact, and it, it just, that's kind of how I got uh, hooked in the space. 
National University of Singapore is a very good university one. And the second, a lot of people, a lot of leaders in the space have come out of the University of Singapore. Uh, not only has um, Loi Lu from Kyber, uh, Xin Shu Dong from Zilliqa, both uh, from the university. Uh, you were doing your PhD there, sir? Um, or a researcher? I, well, or? I, was a, I was a postdoc there. Oh, a postdoc. But uh, actually that paper that I just mentioned was co-authored with, with Loy, so he was okay. a co-author. I mean, it was, when you look back on that time, I mean, it was, it was an amazing time. You know, like we, Loy and all, I, I don't know, there's a project that you may have also heard of called Smart Pool, which we, which we did together. That was a mining pool where the operators of Ethereum smart contracts. So there's, that was uh, something, they actually, he and, and your own built that out and then that was before they decided to go to work on Kyber. But, you know, you think like Zillic, in those, in those years, you know, when we were all just sitting there nerding out, you know, it came, right. we spun out uh, Zillica and there was Anchuan. There, there was, yeah, I guess Pratik had, had, had Anchuan and, and, of course, Kyber. So, yeah. so, and, and Trubit, I mean, I, of least of all, right? I mean, right. so, so we're, we were... It's interesting. So uh, I, I have a feeling that I have to ask this question before we go into Trubit 101. What is the verifier's dilemma? Good question. So the verifier's dilemma is, as I said, it, it explains why Ethereum needs to have a gas limit. So let's just suppose for a moment that you don't have a gas limit mm -hmm. and a big transaction comes in or maybe a huge number of really small ones comes in. It doesn't really matter. And there could be like a big incentive for, for the miner to take that block and put it in the blockchain. And but what about the other verifiers who, who come after him? You know, basically the way Nakamoto consensus works is everybody is supposed to sort of check the blocks for free, so to speak, so that they know which is the longest chain and so they can continue to extend it further. Mm -hmm. So basically, the, imagine something that comes in, it, it would take you like, an, let's say it takes you 15 minutes to verify it, for example, or something that's a substantial length of the block time. So you have there's this temptation to just sort of skip the verification. Mm -hmm. That's bad in and of itself, but it gets worse because there's also a reason why you would do the verification, which is that you might end up mining on the wrong chain, right? If everybody else does the verification and you didn't do it, well, now you've just mined yourself an orphan block and you, mm -hmm. you're, you're not getting the reward. So basically, there's a reason to do the verification. There's a reason not to do the verification. So without a gas limit, you just can break the consensus. Basically, miners want to do what all the other miners are doing. And a rational miner doesn't know what to do, basically. So mm -hmm. th remember the world that we were living in back then. This was, you know, a slightly new idea. And when Bitcoin paper came out, uh, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto made this assumption that majority of miners are honest. That was the world we were living in back then. And I sort of always kind of, I guess, mm, suspicious or skeptical. Or skeptical. That's the right word. That that was actually the behavior because to me, honest means that you do whatever the protocol told you to do, regardless of financial incentives to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and that clearly isn't the case because people open mining pools. You weren't supposed to do that, right? I mean, right. and so we said, let's change the paradigm. Like, let's assume people are are rational instead of honest, and that you know explored that first in the. 38.2% attack paper. So let's break down the verifier's dilemma in two sentences. Great. So the verifier's dilemma says that a rational miner does not know whether to skip the verification or to do it. So that's basically... And that's based off of incentive. Will they get the, the block reward incentive or not? Yeah, exactly. So that was the second sentence. I see. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Now that we know what the verifier's dilemma is, let's go into true bit. Can you please tell us TrueBit 101? So TrueBit is a way around 
the verifier's dilemma. Ooh, way around, okay, cool. So it, it's way around in the sense that Truebit is a retrofitting solution and it's like a blockchain enhancement, if you will. So it doesn't, it's not like we're sprouting up our, our own chain. We're basically taking the existing chains and making their smart contracts more powerful. And actually one thing that I've sort of come to, especially kind of hit home to me in this conference is that it isn't just about making large computations through smart contracts. Obviously that's interesting. If you're running out of gas, you can call the Truebit. But we built a file system, the first, as far as I know, the first file system that's actually built on a blockchain. Mm -hmm. So before this, there isn't really a way for Ethereum smart contracts to you know, read the data that's on the Ethereum blockchain. Mm -hmm. so, so we, and so we basically have a generic system you can read in Ethereum from the smart contract uh, memory or you can do IPFS or it's a generic system, you can build more. So it just occurred to me that there are applications that, that need that as well. So that's a unique feature. Can we go through the operations <laughs> of this? Because I'm still a little confused. Yeah. And can we use product that I'm used to using? And maybe this is a bad example, but you have to tell me if it's a good example or not. My crypto and the Ethereum EC20 wallet. Yeah, right, with, okay. So I put in my uh, Ledger Nano. I unlocked my ERC20 tokens. I have a little bit of F there to pay my gas price. I want to send some ERC20 tokens to my, my buddy, right? So I, I click there, I put in their address, I put my gas price there, I press send, I verified it on my Ledger Nano, and it's at my friends. Does Truebit do anything with that process? So if you're just an ordinary transaction, it's not, you don't need Truebit. Okay, so what, for, for the average consumer, what would Truebit do in any kind of transaction case? Or is it for developers or is it for, um, because I don't know. Yeah, so I, I, think, I think it's more a matter of like, the way the consumer would use it is by being able to use crypto for a new class of applications, let's say. So, hmm. so for, let's, let's give an, a nice example of a consumer application. Okay. So are you you're familiar perhaps with the LivePeer project? No, I'm not. So LivePeer is a decentralized live streaming video platform. So basically, Anybody can broadcast the video, anybody okay. can receive it, okay. but there's some cost involved in doing the transcoding to change the video using the different codecs, different resolutions. Mm -hmm. It's more than you could do on your smartphone while you're trying to broadcast, for example. Okay. So what LivePeer does is, since it's decentralized, they can send the transcoding to be done on Truebit and know that it's gonna be done correctly, or at least in some cases verify it, yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm using LivePeer, streaming with my iPhone. That is not just going to a person directly or a centralized server that's getting dispersed to consumers. It's going from my phone to Truebit to get decoded in, in different formats, then dispersed. Is that, is that how it's working? Basically, yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously, Truebit just in, enforces that the transcoding is, is done correctly. So it's not... It's so not, it's a verifier. Right. So it's basically, it's not fast enough to do it. In, in real time, but you can imagine they've actually gone through multiple iterations of how they're going to include Truebit in the protocol. But what they started off with in the very beginning is say, whoever is doing, I guess, that transcoding function, say one out of a thousand frames of the video gets sent to Truebit. And, you know, if, if they're sending junk, then, you know, you, you get a penalty. If they're doing it right, then you get a reward. So, mm -hmm. so, so that you can sort of enforce that, um, that the, the correct behavior because, you know, obviously you, you want to make sure that whatever gets broadcasted was the, the video that you actually wanted well, to watch. Right. <laughs> obviously, so, yes. So there you go. Um, so that's one consumer application for it. Another, I'll give you an example that I just, we, we came across uh, this weekend talking to the, to the Quantstamp team. And this is, this is one that sort of also made me realize sort of the importance of, of the file system. 
Um, so basically, are you familiar with the Quant Stamp project? So they, they do security audits for, right. for smart contracts. Mm -hmm. And they also want to do that in a decentralized way. So imagine you're an auditor, you can put money into a contract, which is an insurance policy saying, I'm so sure that this contract is correct that I'm willing to, to stake the money behind my work on, on the audit. That, for example, the ownership of a contract isn't going to change or something okay. like that. So it's reputation? Um, Ish? No, no, well, it's just, it's just, it's just a, a formal, you just have some formal specification of what properties you're insuring of, of the contract, okay. and you, you write that into a contract itself. Now, let's say somewhere along the line, something bad happens, there's a security breach, so now you could send that to Trubit, and you know, Trubit, obviously, reading in the file system, can see what happened on the blockchain and say, yeah, that, that's bad, and they just get paid right away. There's no, it's totally decentralized, so right. anybody can set it up, and it does exactly what it's, it's supposed to do, so that's, that's an, another... I don't know if that's direct to consumer, but it's certainly a service that 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 you know uh, developers want to have. I mean, we're 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 kind of like deep in the stack, right? So we're right. We're we're we we serve the the development community. Right. So. Gotcha. 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 Where are you based, sir? So Trubit is a distributed organization. Some people may be familiar with our house. We were we we all our whole team lived together in a house in in San Francisco. And oh, word. Okay. Cool. In in 2018, so we were there. I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, we had. A lot of uh, visitors, in, and then we spent two months in Berlin together, and so so now we're sort of back in a, in a distributed configuration for for the moment. But okay, so nobody is based in Denver. We have none. Okay, and you, how many people from your team are here? Five, maybe. So my question I, I've been asking everybody at, the, at this event, because I think it's rather phenomenal that a bunch of companies and a bunch of people and a bunch of developers and a bunch of advocates come together in Colorado, in Denver, to an event and fly either halfway across the country, halfway across the world, to participate in a hackathon. Why do you feel that it's beneficial for Truebit to come here and do this? So we did the Makerspace last year in ETH Denver. So it was, you know, we, we had basically, the Makerspace is a place where we can connect art with blockchain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had a lot of art hackers last year who came in and made art that was connected to the blockchain mm -hmm. and you know it was successful and they wanted to do another one this year so of course you know we were excited to to come back and and do it I mean it's actually a great way for us to engage with the community because you know this year we wanted to also sort of do some more um, focus and explain not only art and blockchain but how can you connect art and blockchain to Truebit for example and here okay. here and people come in they learn about art blockchain and then here are some tools that you can use to to build so we basically were focused on you know, um, what we call the art DAO. So imagine a machine that creates art, sells the art, and then uses that revenue to maybe improve its own circuits and sell more art and become self-sustaining over time. A machine uh -huh. that just lives on the blockchain. I saw that art all in, in, in the makerspace. Is that all created by, who, who's? Who? Ah, the super rare stuff. Yeah. So those, those pieces and, are all for sale on super rare, yeah. And, what, and what's the link between the blockchain? Is it the IP on the blockchain or? What's the link? I guess they have a designated owner for the piece, right? And if you send Ether, then you can become the owner. Okay. So I, I mean that. So it's so the proof of ownership is on the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah. So and then the new owner can set a new price or whatever for for that piece, and anyone can create, I guess, a ERC seven twenty one that represents a particular piece, and then you, um, I don't know, it's a collectible. So cool. Yep. Jason. I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to come on Crypto 101 and telling us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the makerspace, a little bit about art in the blockchain, and a true bit 101 plus a bonus 
we learned about the verification dilemma and your connection to Loi and Shinshu, two people who have been on the show a couple times. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks so much. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Seller, Rhombus, and Truebit, thank you very much for coming on the show and telling us 101s on your projects. It's quite possible that today, this is the first day somebody heard about your projects and they're going to check them out right now. And Crypto 101 will also be paying attention to watch your business and company grow on the blockchain. On our next episode of Crypto 101, we have on Mr. Rune Christensen to give us a 101 on himself, MakerDAO, and the stablecoin DAI to tell us how they all work together. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. It's a very interesting project. I'm excited to get that out for you. And like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices. And don't forget, summit.teams, that's T-E-A-M-Z dot C-O dot J-P. Tickets, promo code Crypto101, no space for 30% off the tickets to that conference. And we'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. Thank you for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.